0: you're listening to Standing in the Gap. Standing in the Gap is a weekly podcast dedicated to the exposition of scriptures. I'm your host and podcast preacher, Brandon Harrell. I'm the pastor of Bethesda Baptist Church in East Flat Rock, nestled here in the mountains of western North Carolina, where I've served for the past 10 years. I pray the podcast will bless your life as we study God's word together. right, this is Pastor Brandon, still studying the little book of Jude. We are in the final verse of this epistle. Of course, we've been looking at uh, what we've called the apostasy of the last days. That's what Jude is dealing with and pointing us to that great falling away that would happen at the end of the church age, just prior to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has exhorted us with an admonition that calls us to the fight in verses 1 through 4 telling us to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints, and that is to strive and fight for that that is true, that that is right, that has been held by the church through the ages, those fundamental basic doctrines concerning the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And then he uh, said, said some things about the attributes that characterize the foe, and he mentioned those things from verses 5 down through verse 19 concerning what the apostate looks like, who they are, what they do, and how they bring in false doctrine, how they depart from the truth. He told us in verse 19 that they are sensual, having not the Spirit. He tells us that those who apostatize, those who profess faith at one time and then walk away are truly not born again. Those that denounce the faith. That They once professed. They have not the Spirit, which means they're none of His. But now in verses 20 through 25, He's been exhorting us about some actions that cultivate faithfulness. Some things that we should do to be sure that we have a true and living faith in a true and living Lord and that we do not fall away in that great swell that is to come. We saw, first of all, in verses 20 and 21, the edification of the saints. He says in verse 20, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. The edification of the saints. We're to edify one another, build up ourselves. We're to pray in the Holy Ghost. And we're to keep our eyes on the return of Christ, looking for the blessed hope. And then he tells us in verses 22 and 23 about the evangelization of the straying. Something we're to be active in, in these last days. He says, of some have compassion, making a difference, and others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. That tells me there's hope for those who have professed faith and then denounce it. They've not been saved, they are not saved, therefore we ought to go after them with the power of the gospel that the Lord might truly convert them and bring them into his fold. And now we're examining the last action that cultivates faithfulness. And it is the exaltation of the Savior. This he does through the end uh, of his letter, the benediction or the greeting that's given at the end. And he says, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. The edification of the saints, the evangelization of the straying and the exaltation of the Savior. Now in this exaltation, We saw in verse 24 the ability of our Savior. He says he's able to present us uh, faultless. He's able to keep us from falling. And then in verse 25, we started looking at the attributes of our Savior. And really, we could say the actions of our Savior, but uh, he really only gives one action. But he did tell us that he is the only wise God. We looked at that last time. He is the only wise God. It emphasizes the His uniqueness and singularity. He is the only wise God, our Savior, that reminds us of the deity of Christ. He is as much God as God the Father and as much man as us. He is God, our Savior. He is the only wise God. There's the first attribute mentioned. He is wise. He is the source of all wisdom, which we saw on last time. But today, I would start by directing our attention to the phrase, God, our Savior. In a sense, it may not be an attribute, rather an action performed, but He is our Savior. The word Savior comes from the word soter. It really comes from a root, sozo, in the Greek. And let me read you some definitions of the word Savior here. Uh, Mount says it means to save. Rescue, to preserve, safe, and unharmed. Thayer says it means to save, to keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger or destruction. Complete Word Studies gives the following on this word. It says it means to save, deliver, make whole, preserve, safe from danger, loss, or destruction. Therefore, it denotes one who delivers from danger, places in a happy state and undertakes for the for the protection and preservation of one who is otherwise helpless. Our salvation is not just uh, the deliverance from some danger and then the leaving of us to ourselves, but it is the Savior's work in which he undertakes not only to deliver us, but then to place us in a safe and happy state and to preserve us under the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. He uh, does that work for us. Now, salvation, uh, scripturally, is threefold, and it finds itself coming to us in three tenses. First of all, there is the past tense. That is the matter of justification. The Lord Jesus, in dying for sinners, has justified us. He has paid our sin debt. And taken upon himself the penalty for our sin. Then there is the present work of salvation in the life of the believer. That is our sanctification. He is causing us to be conformed to the image of his son. And then finally there will be the glorification of our salvation. That is that time when we are translated. When we are brought into the presence of Christ. When we see him as he is. And we are made like him. Now, in the Gospels, Mary and Joseph were instructed to name the child that they would have Jesus. The word literally means Jehovah is salvation. The reason given in Matthew chapter 1 is simply this, for he shall save his people from their sins. This work of salvation is really given to us here in a very concise manner as to what it consists of. First of all, this work would be accomplished by him and him alone, for he shall save. He is the Christ. He is the only anointed Savior of men. He shall save, not with the help or aid of anyone else. He shall save all by himself. This salvation, would be in the hands of Christ alone. It is only Christ who can save. There's no other God who can save. There's not a human who can save us from this sin. There's not any other entity. There's not any ability that we have to save ourselves. Only Christ can be the one to save us. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Peter said it like this, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby We must be saved. Christ is the anointed Savior, and he is the only one who can save. He shall save his people. This work is accomplished on behalf of his people, we're told there in Matthew 1 and verse 21. You understand today that not everyone is going to be saved. The only ones who are saved are his people. They shall be delivered. Now, in Joseph's mind, when they heard this, he and Mary, that meant to him physical Israel at that time. But we know that it was much broader than that now that we're looking back on Calvary and and seeing the finished work of Christ. John 3.16 says to us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Who are his people, you might ask, that he will save? His people are all of those who have come to Christ in faith, repenting of their sins, and believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. He said in John chapter 6, verse 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and he that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. If you've called upon his name, believing upon him, repenting, you are one of his people and you shall be saved. He shall save his people from their sins. If you've not done that, if you don't know him, then you're not saved today. There is a hell for those who refuse to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. But then this salvation is the sole purpose for the coming of Christ to the earth. This truth is stated throughout the scriptures time and time again. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. The scripture tells us here why he came. He came to save sinners. Uh, In our text um, in uh, Matthew 1 that we're taking on top of this one in Jude, he shall save his people from their sins. He has come to save sinners. Paul said it to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. In other words, this is a saying that has become proverbial because it's found over and over to be true. And it is worthy of the acceptance of all who hear it, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That is why he has come into this earth. Now, there are many implications which may or may not spring from this salvation. But none of those are the primary concern of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He shall save his people from their sins. Understand this. Sin is the source of all miseries in the earth. Uh, sin, uh, sins are the behavior that are a result of the sin nature which we're born with. We're all inherently evil. Uh, the word sin in the verse there in, in Matthew one twenty one means to miss the mark. The scripture tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Therefore, we're all sinners. And the wages of sin is death, we're, to, we're told in, Rome, in Romans 6, verse 23. That's the bad news, but the good news follows. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. I want you to hear me today as we end the broadcast. Jesus did not come to this earth to be the figurehead of a political movement. He did not come to eradicate from the earth poverty and sickness. He did not come to befriend heathen in their sinful state and coddle them in the state in which he found them. In all that he did every miracle he performed, every act of healing, every act of giving the sight to the blind, in every meal that he sat down to with publicans and with sinners, in every message that he preached, whether it be the Sermon on the Mount or the Olivet Discourse, he had but one goal in mind the whole time, and that was to save sinners from the penalty, power, pleasure, and finally the presence of their sin to the glory of his Father. Jesus Christ is the Savior. To him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior. I want to ask you this as we close the broadcast today. Are you saved? If you say yes, where are you saved from? I've had people who thought they were saved because they survived a car wreck. That's not what salvation is. Has Christ saved you? From your sins. Friend, that's what this salvation is all about. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what the gospel is for. He came, he lived a life you couldn't live. He died in your place on the cross. He was buried and rose again the third day to save his people from their sins. Till next time, this has been Pastor Brandon. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast today. I hope it's been a blessing to you. If you'd like to contact me, you can find our church's website at www.BethesdaBaptistEastFlatRock.com You can also follow me on Twitter at PreacherB underscore BBC. If you'd like to watch our services live streamed, you can do that on Facebook at Bethesda Baptist East Flat Rock. God bless you till we meet again.